This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to A Real Man Wood Podcast. Your host, Chris Liss, and Dalton Del Don, the nutless monkey, is not here today. So we're going to upgrade hugely in his place with the professor, Dr. Andre Snellings, and uh, he's going to be my co-host today. What's going on, Andre? How you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, internally laughing at that nutless wonder uh, description. <laughs> it's nutless monkey. That's It's from... Uh, oh, nutless monkey. It's okay. from uh, Tropic Thunder, where Tom Cruise says, a nutless monkey could do your job. All right, well... I want to just talk a little NFL with you. I know your bread and butter is hoops. You are the author and creator of the Hoops Lab podcast. It's hoopslab.rotowire.com for anyone who wants some advanced analytics, some fantasy hoops, some daily fantasy hoops, some WNBA DFS, and also some political and social commentary. Is that a fair description of what the blog is? Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's, it's a pretty diverse place. And um, I think today, the last article that ran... It's kind of a historical barbershop piece is uh, Kobe Bryant against Dirk Nowitzki. So, um, you know, a lot of times uh, Kobe fans are passionate. So I was hoping to, to, to get them to weigh in and say I was crazy for even having Dirk in that sentence. Get a sort of a little draft off their backlash. I, I have a feeling you're coming out Dirk over Kobe, but I guess people have to I actually, I, you know, I mean, because this is a pretty long article. I came out that they were really, really similar. And um, I might even edge Kobe, which I was a little surprised when I, when I started. But um you know, I, but I, I think it's a, a worthwhile comparison. I don't think it's like a swamp the way, you know, a, a, a lot of hardcore Kobe fans, you know, they don't like to hear anybody's name in the same sentence with him, especially somebody like Dirk. Right. Is it that Dirk's D is not very good for a big man? Is that the problem? Because Kobe's D was all on the ball and he was actually a net negative off the ball, which is more important in your opinion, right? Yeah. It, you know, so if we go with, with the, the, the kind of impact stats approach, it's really interesting because Kobe has all of those all defensive teams, but his defense doesn't measure out as having like very much impact because of what you just talked about. He was on the ball, but what he did off the ball kind of ended up canceling that out. Whereas Dirk, he's okay. You know, he's, he's not a great defender, but he's okay and he plays big man. So in a lot of the impact stats, he actually measures out a little better defensively than Kobe, which is kind of controversial. Um, but um, overall, they're, they're very similar um, on both sides of the ball. Offense-heavy players, uh, mostly. I mean, Dirk, I would think, would have more value, though, just because of you know the stretch four and the stretch five, like sending those big men out to have to guard him and then weakening the overall defense. But that's not more impactful than uh, Kobe's sort of one-on-one dominance? It really – I mean, it, it turns out that it kind of equated – I mean, so you're right. Like, Dirk being a, a center – that could, you know, you can run your offense through, he can knock down the three, um, he can create spacing. That makes him one of the biggest impact big men of all time on offense. You know, most of the time, big men make their hay on defense. And he, he's actually a, a very offensive-minded big man. Um, but, you know, Kobe, in addition to being a one-on-one player, he's also a really good, when he wants to be, um, offense initiator. He can, he can set up his teammates. He can, you know, kind of, he's a, he's a little bit more of a dynamic offensive player compared to Dirk. And so um, it's interesting to see two people that do it so differently have their results end up so similar. It's like if you you can divorce yourself from looking at the Lakers championships in the Kobe years, because obviously he has five rings, the Dirk's one. Yeah, Yeah. but yeah, yeah, a little guy named Shaq had something to do with that. Outside of that, just their actual on-the-court impact is very similar. But like peak Shaq crushes both those dudes, right? It's not even close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it comes up pretty clear. It's like, 
in, you know, maybe what I call maybe the, the data ball era for the NBA. Um, so now it's back to 1998. That's our first regressed plus minus data. Um, and we have raw plus minus data back to 94. So the last 20 to 25 years, um, the top of the plus minus scale is really, you know, Shaq and LeBron and one other guy that I won't mention for, for uh, so I won't be argued as being biased. But it's really <laughs> those three and right. then a little gap, and then like Duncan and, and Dirk are behind them. Um, and then, you know, another little gap, and then Kobe is kind of like right behind behind them uh, overall. Okay, interesting stuff. But that's on the Hoops Lab. Check that out, hoopslab.rotoware.com. Always a great read. There's also a lot of political stuff and social stuff. Take your pick. It's got a lot of good stuff. Also some Game of Thrones reviews that I thought were good. You know, I watch it, and sometimes I miss something. I'll read yours. I actually read, I, I'll Google after the show. I don't have like any one go-to and I'll mm-hmm. just like try to be like, once I'm done with it, so I'm not getting any spoilers and we will announce, we will not do any spoilers on this podcast without mm-hmm. announcing it. We will give you, you know, five seconds to shut it off if you don't want to know. And we're not doing that yet. I'm just talking generally. I will Google after it and just sort of like make sure I haven't missed something or like make sure that thing I thought might be going on is going on or is not going on. And mm-hmm. uh, so I read some of those and I read your recap the next day. I saw it on Twitter and I thought it was pretty good. I thought you could you could be in that line of business if you really wanted to. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, so so yeah, I'm I'm kind of just kind of sticking my toe in it for the first time. Um, I've never done recaps before this year for Game of Thrones. Um, for a long time, it was because I was uh, um, you know, I had read the books, and so I figured it would be hard to to be in the the, the recap and and uh, guess what happens next game if you already have an idea of what's happening. But now, you know, the the show is past the books, so. I figure it's all fair game. Um, the one thing, if I was trying to do it for real, like you said, I would have to to probably get it out sooner. I'd have to get it out tonight. I'm West Coast, so like you know, by the time I've watched it, they've got a few hours. They've gotten it out, so there's mm-hmm. tons of uh, recaps out there. But it's good to to catch up again. We're not spoiling it yet. I will give you ample warning. I'm a real stickler for not having things spoiled for me. Heather's like, oh, you should see this movie. It's about this guy. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. Right. Just, <laughs> yeah. You should see this movie. I think you'll like it. You know, if somebody who has good taste recommends something, that's all I want to know. I don't want to know yeah. what it's about. And I have a really clear reason for that. It's that if I'm watching a movie, you're in, in the, especially if you go to a movie, which is so rare these days, you know, you're in the dark and the screen comes on, the light comes on, and you see like a million advertisements and previews now, but whatever. Once you get to the movie, you'll see like a dude and he's walking and it's dark and something's happening. And you're there and you're like, okay, what's happening? And you can be there because you don't know what's happening because you don't know the premise of the movie. But if the premise mm-hmm. of the movie is this guy gets divorced, he finds his wife cheating on him, and then he goes crazy and he does X, Y, and Z, and you know that, well, then you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's, this is him like, going to find his... You, know, you don't know. You don't get the shock of it because you're already yeah. out of the movie. You're already, like, your mind is already ahead of what the frame-by-frame experience is. And I don't want that. That's, I want to go to escape. I want to be in another world. I want to be in another character's life, even if it's dark or depressing or scary or whatever. I want to experience that. And if you tell me what the premise is, that means a third of the movie is totally lost on me. Yeah, no, I feel that. And, you know, I, I see that happen a lot. And especially with, um, you know, with previews, not only do they give you the premise of the movie, they, but they give you like scenes through the movie. And my memory is too good. So I'll remember the flashes. And if I haven't seen it yet in the movie, that means that it's coming. And sometimes they'll have like flashes from the end of the movie. And I'll be able to figure out where it's going based on, well, you know, I know I saw him free falling. So that means he's about to fall out this airplane. And, you know, like, but I agree with you on that. And then I would also say that, um, you know, my, my father, when he was younger, him and his friends, uh, their probably favorite movie experience, you know, uh, was, was going to see the, the original Alien. And um, the reason it was so good for him was for that reason. There was no advertising for the original Alien. The, the only commercial, I mean, they, they told me it was a, um, a picture of a black egg and it just said Alien. And so when they went, they had no idea what was coming. It was, and dad went and saw it first. So he knew he went and got them and made them go see it. Right. And, you know, <laughs> it scared all of them individually. So, you, know, you, you don't get much of that these days. Yeah, no, it's terrible. I, I, you're totally right. There was a movie, The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. And there's one scene, it's 20 years old, so now I can talk, spoil it, where he, he has to like jump off a cliff. He's been, he's been chased and the dudes are coming after him with guns and he's got to go off the cliff into this you know, this water, but it's like 500 feet below. I mean, it's insane. But mm-hmm. like, because I'd seen the preview for it, I saw scenes that, I mean, obviously Harrison Ford is not going to die in the movie halfway through, but even setting that aside, I saw scenes that I hadn't seen yet with him in it. 
So there's no drama in what's going to happen to him because you've seen him running after that. So like mm-hmm. you can't even be like with broken legs after that because he was running a little while later in the movie. So you know exactly. it, it's just you can't you just can't do it and you know the marketing really destroys the mystery of it and and it has to be a mystery. Most movies are such garbage that that you know it's all marketing and there's no real mystery and whatever. There's the, the whole sort of idealized experience of watching a movie that I'm describing is 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 dumb, but but I still believe in that. So yeah, you know if you're going to tell me a movie just tell me it's good. And I'll go see it. I don't even want to know what genre it is, honestly. And then, okay. and then, secondly, uh, I won't. And my point is, I won't spoil Game of Thrones without giving you ample warning to turn this podcast off. That'll be that. All right. So let's let's move on to some uh, NFL quickly. I know you're a Bengals guy, and I think people have questions on uh, Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard, Jeremy Hill. People are drafting those guys at various points. Is Mixon going to take this job, or are those veterans going to fend him off and, and just put him in a in sort of a role? I think, you know, so you, you might have noticed in, in, when we did our draft in Vegas, I didn't end up with any of the Bengals running backs. Um, and they are my favorite team. So every year I end up with those running backs. But I think there's so much uncertainty. I feel like if the Bengals front office and coaching staff gets their way, that Mixon will end up being, you know, more of the primary guy by the end of the year. I think that's what they want to happen. Um but I think they're going to make him actually beat them out. Um, and I think in their ideal, even if he does beat them out, he would still be splitting time with them. You know, I don't think they want to have a, a, a full time back. They want to go by committee. And part of that is because even with with uh, Bernard and, and um, uh, Jeremy Hill over the last couple of years, they still end up getting injured injuries at the worst times. You know, so I think they really want to have redundancy. If I was drafting them, I would probably pick Mixon, Geo, then Hill, um, based on the assumption that by the end of the year, Mixon will, will, will be the lead guy and that Hill makes the most, I mean, I'm sorry, and um, Bernard makes the most sense as a, 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 um, a, a partner to him. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting so late to do it that other people are, are picking him beforehand. Yeah, I mean, it seems like what will happen is Mixon will be the, getting the bulk of the carries, but Hill will steal some goal line carries, and Bernard will steal a lot of third downs. And then mm-hmm. it's impossible for Mixon to have any serious value in a PPR because you lose you know, five, six touchdowns at the goal line, and then you mm-hmm. lose 25, 30 catches on third down. I mean, you know, I'm saying he's going to get his 30 anyway in early downs, and, and Gio will get 20 that he would have gotten as a change of pace anyway. But if 30 more, 20, 30 more go to Gio, so he gets the 40, 50 catches. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mixon only has 30 because Gio's there on third downs. And then Mixon has six touchdowns instead of 11 because five or six go to Hill. There's no upside. You know, then you're Amir Abdullah. I mean, I, I have no interest in a back who's not either a primary PPR guy or a primary goal line guy. You just really can't earn the points being the between the 20s early down guy. Exactly. Exactly. And that, you know, again, that's kind of why I end up laying off. It's, it's, you know, because we, we lay out these scenarios and it could end up that, you know, um, uh, Mixon ends up, um, you know, getting a few touchdowns early in the season and Jeremy Hill fumbles a couple times. He's had fumbleitis at, 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 at bad times in the past. And maybe Mixon ends up getting a, a bigger share. You know, he's a big back, but he can also catch. So, you know, like there's upside in Mixon that isn't there for the other two. But at the same token, it could very easily play out the way you described. And I think that's actually how the Bengals coaches would like it to play out because then they don't have to burn out any one guy. So that that, that limits the, uh, any of their value. Yeah. I mean, if Gio goes down, then I think there's some real upside because then you have Mixon as the third down guy who also cuts into the early down. You know, And then you're just like, okay, you give up a couple TDs, no big deal. But you can't give up both. The other thing is Gio is actually really good. Like when Gio is healthy, yeah. like, I think he's a really good back. So – it's not like I, Hill to me seems more, you know, whatever, ham and egg or like just a big back with some power, but no, he's nothing special. But I think Gio's actually good. So, like, I think uh, you're not really going to get rid of him as long as he's fully recovered from his knee injury. Yeah. And, you know, Hill is really interesting because his rookie year, he looked electric. He didn't just look like a, a big guy that was out there lumbering. You know, he had, he could, you know, he was shifty. He, he could cut. He had some speed. He could catch better than I expected. So, I really thought a couple years ago that he would be the one that became more of an every down back. Um, and then 
I don't know if it was after he had that, you know, breakdown against the Steelers or I don't know what happened. But like last year, he just didn't look at all. He didn't progress at all the way I thought he would. So I don't know if what I saw before is still there. Um, but even if it is, it's hard to imagine and outside of a lot of injuries, him getting the chance to show that again for the Bengals because they have so many running backs now. Those backs that come in as rookies and they're big and they're physical and they have a little uh, spring in their step. You, you beat them up a little bit for two or three years in the NFL. And sometimes yeah. those guys get a little sluggish, right? Like they have that yeah. little bit, they're, they're big and they have that little bit of quickness and that makes them good. But like, how long can they keep that in the NFL? Yeah. NFL running backs, they've, it, as, especially as I've gotten older, it's become such a like fungible commodity, you know, like it, it, it's so weird. Cause when I was little, the running backs were my favorite players. You know, those were the ones and, you know, they'd be my favorite player forever. And, you know, nowadays it's like a running back's 26. They're, they're looking askance. Like, I don't know. He's starting to get some tread on him. And you can't even say they're wrong for the reason you just pointed out. They, they, they noticeably are starting to slow down. You know, I don't know if that's a symptom of just the, the hits have gotten to be so ridiculous that you just physically can't. Like, I always tell a story. I wanted to be a running back when I was younger. And my father did not want me to play football. And I, so I guess he was ahead of his time with this whole CTE thing. But um, one of his friends told him that, you know, if the boy wants to play running back, just have him put on his, his, his pads and go run headfirst into a tree 30 times every day. And, and that'll be how you, yeah, that's how you train him to do it. And so, you know, you take that and multiply it times these super mega huge fast guys, um, you know, maybe the human body's just not meant to, to take that. Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder when we were growing up if, you know, because we just didn't really know, like there was like a big survivor bias, like you're like Barry Sanders or, you know, I'm a little older than you, Dre. So, you know, it was more like Walter Payton, although I wasn't a huge Walter yeah, Payton. Tony Dorsett. Franco Harris, Tony Dorsett, though I hated the Cowboys too. <laughs> you know, and you're like, those guys are awesome. But the thing is, like, those are the survivors. Like those are mm-hmm. the Damian Tomlinson's, of, you know, right now the uh, Matt Forte's and the, you know, Frank Gores, those are the survivors. The, the guys who didn't survive, we don't know who they are. We never knew who they were. We, we probably saw them in passing on the telecast when you were a kid. You know, noted their name for a second. They made a good play or two. And then two years later, when they were out of the league, you, you just don't even remember who they are. Maybe, but it also seems different because, like, these days, even the best running back isn't, you know, if he's 28, 29, the team is like, we're taking the running back in this first, second round next, not even the first round, because we don't have to, but we'll take him in the second round next year. You know, whereas a guy like Peyton playing into his mid-30s is almost unheard of, you know, and, and by the next generation with Emmitt Smith, you, you know, he didn't even get to finish his career with, with the Cowboys because even for him, they were like, yeah, no, you know, we, we, the running back, he's getting too old. Um, so I, I wonder if it's, you know, just that the league knows more what to look for and, and they're less loyal. I think that's what it is. They know that Walter Payton was probably done three, four years before he left the league. And obviously, mm-hmm. tragically, he's dead. And he's not that yeah. he was not that old when he died. Earl Campbell's like broken down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in, in the early 2000s, like Eddie George was horrible his last two years. Yeah. And they just kept giving him the ball. I think it was Jeff Fisher. <laughs> Jeff Fisher's like yeah. responsible for like so much bad play in the NFL. I think it was Jeff Fisher there. Um, I yeah, yeah, wrong, he was. He was. And Eddie George, I don't know. Are you allowed to cuss on your, uh, your of podcast? Course, of course. All right, so um, this doesn't even completely relate, but it was just hilarious. Like, at the end of George's career, when he was, like, big and lumbering, among my friends, he became an adjective. Yeah. And so, like, when uh, Marion Jones, after, like, not the Olympics, she won all the golds, but when she, like, came back and, and, and you know, she was just looking big and slow. That was how my, my friend Cole, you know Cole, but that's how Cole yeah. described it. He's like, she out there like a big ass Eddie George or something. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. it's just that that's just what she was late had. stage Eddie George. You don't you don't ever want to roster late stage Eddie George. I mean exactly. it was like the cliff happened, you know, he fell off the cliff and then he still played another year and they gave him a lot of carries. So yeah, I mean I think I think it's that. I think they just didn't know, you know. I mean they still do it sometimes. They still like Frank Gore's carcass is still out there, right? I mean yeah, you know, he was yeah. like a great That's blocker true. at least, and, he, and last year Pro Football Focus said his blocking was horrible. So he's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm fate, you know, his one like, thing of value is gone. Yeah, I mean, and he's obviously too old. He's 34, and he's had a ton of carries. So I, I just can't even conceive of people drafting Frank Gore. They're like, oh, Frank Gore in the eighth. That's a great value. Like, dude, he's 34. <laughs> I mean, come on, like, you right, know, it's, it's right. just not. It's it's just inhuman to draft a guy right now. Uh, let's move on real quick. I don't want to do a super long one. I'm actually making an international move. 
I'm going to New York for 10 days on Monday, and I got to pack up the whole house. We rented our house out, so I got like all this stuff to do. So I want to make this an easier edit. I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter, but I'm going to turn. I'm going to let you uh, set the scene here. You you actually made a, a political post. Again, this is on Hoopslab, hoopslab.rotoware.com. We're not restricted to just writing about one topic. If you got something on your mind, you can post it, and uh, and you obviously did over uh, about the last uh, several days' events. Yeah. So you know. I guess, obviously, everyone in America, probably the world, saw, you know, the, the, the tragedy that went on in Charlottesville this this last weekend and um, the initial response or lack thereof of, of the president. And then, you know, <laughs> then, then his further, you know, I guess, attempt to, to quell the situation on on was it Monday or Tuesday. And then he backed all the way off of that yesterday. So. You know, we've seen the events. Well, I wrote this article before his um, I wrote it on Sunday. So this was after the initial, you know, uh, tragedy and his very lukewarm uh, response. And so my point was that. If this was unfortunately a predictable circumstance that, um, you know, if you go back through the hoops labs and articles that I wrote um, you know, when Trump was first elected and at various times, you know, when he was about to be inaugurated, um, his whole campaign to me empowered, um, hate groups, white nationalists, like he was essentially their mouthpiece in a way that no political leader, um, in kind of my lifetime really has been that, that since the, the days of the sixties the and the civil rights movement, at least publicly, and, and most leaders would, you know, speak to racism being over, that we were in this post-racial society. And, you know, obviously I'm black and growing up black. I did not necessarily see that America, and I didn't have the experience that you would expect if we really were in a, a post-racial society. But just, you know, even it, at least there, there were attempts to not do it in public, whereas Trump is... I, he's very clearly empowered them for a really long time. And so with that being the case, I couldn't understand why there was this sense of almost like shock, you know, in a lot of the, the public media that, oh my gosh, you know, uh, this tragedy, tragedy has happened. And, you know, it was like, well, I mean, it, it is tragic, but for me, it wasn't shocking. And so that's what this article was about, was me laying out the case through time, referencing my old articles that, things like this could happen. And unfortunately, the stage is set for worse things to possibly happen in the future. So I, I agree with most of that, man. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's an obvious thing for him to say. And it was the thing he said the second day before he retracted it the third day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And uh, I, I mean, I think it's so obvious that I was getting kind of annoyed in my Twitter feed. Everyone's like, I was like, who knew? Like, everybody hates neo-Nazis and white supremacists in my Twitter feed. Like, who knew? Like, <laughs> like, like no, nobody finds that acceptable that, that, that I follow, right? And I follow diverse people. Like, I don't care if right. someone's Republican or whatever. And I have a lot of people who follow me who are, you know, Republicans, and they say some crazy shit, in my opinion. You know, they say stuff like, like we were talking about the Kaepernick protest, and one of them actually argued that the videos that he was, I was like, you know, he's, regardless, he's protesting an important issue, and they're like, oh, they edited those videos. Like, those videos are not, you know, you, you the media's editing those videos to make it look like, I'm like, dude, <laughs> I don't know what videos you're watching and whether there was some editing because you can't run a 20-minute video on a news clip. That It was pretty clear what happened in those videos, and that's pretty crazy to think it's that, you know, like, I, I don't trust the media at all. I think it's doing a terrible job. I don't think the incentives are aligned with truly informing the public or, you know, aligned with... Uh, producing democracy in any sort of real sense. So I don't trust them, but I'm not as far to say they're trying to edit it to make Kaepernick look good or to make the police look bad. If anything, I think the media would be on the side of control and the corporate sector would be on the side of the police, if anything. Okay? Right. Not the um, black victims who mostly are poor and don't have a lot of political power. I don't see any good reason why they would be on their side, just based on my knowledge of the way things work in society. Okay, so... But regardless, there are a lot of people saying stuff like that during the, when I was posting about Kaepernick. But none of those dudes, after you know this this incident in, in Charlottesville, said I I agree with white supremacy or I I agree with neo Nazism, right? So like mm -hmm. as crazy as I think those guys are with some of their views, and a lot of these guys are really pro Trump. 
you know, they're not like pro neo Nazi or pro white supremacy. Right. They're just like conspiratorial, you know, conspiracy theory to a degree that I find a little bit unbelievable, and also, you know, in denial of some things that I think are in pretty plain evidence. But even so, they're not, you know. So I, I guess my take is Trump. I mean, I can't defend the way he handled that, and it's an easy, it's an, it's a layup, right? You just say, look. That, that's, you know, obviously what he said the second day is obvious. It was what he was told to say. He said it, and that should have been it. And he, and he shouldn't have, he already stepped in it the first day by trying to, you know, equate people, you know, protesting for, you know, protesting against that with the people doing violence. But I, I really think this is a fringe bunch of nut jobs. And, I, and I, I'm going to say one other thing, Dre. I think the media loves the neo Nazis. And I don't mean they agree with what they're trying to say, they don't. But this is a really good development for the centrists, for the Clinton supporters, for the uh, neocons, the Bush people, that whole uh, sort of unholy alliance, in my opinion. When the neo-Nazis come out, it makes the people who invaded Iraq, who bankrupted our economy, who bailed out the banks instead of the homeowners, it makes them look reasonable. It's like, look at this. This was the alternative. This is what you guys elected. We could have had Hillary, but you guys, you guys got this. And I feel like they love that. That is like the, a gift for them. They love to see these nut jobs in costumes dressing up and marching <laughs> and provoking everybody into being like, yeah, centrist media, you know, you're the moral authority. People are like tweeting John McCain being like, racism is unacceptable. It's like John McCain never met a war he didn't like. You know, we're mm -hmm. talking about brown people in Afghanistan and in Iraq and Syria and in Libya who are just being murdered by the tens of thousands. And he loves that. But, you know, oh, let's retweet him because he says the one <laughs> obvious thing. And I feel like right. we're rehabilitating monsters, you know, because of Trump. I mean, because Trump is wrong and not only wrong, but just, you know, the, the, the wrong and just ridiculously out of touch on these subjects. We're, we're now rehabilitating monstrous, murderous acts. And I feel like mm -hmm. that is not a good direction to be going. And it is fine to say, Look, Trump is empowering these people by not condemning them as he should. And there is a movement of some number, you and I disagree about the size of it, that is dangerous and is obviously something that we want to get rid of. But we're starting to totally turn the attention to this. First it was Russia, then it's the Nazis. But that's not what got us into the mess that produced Trump in the first place. You know, so it's really interesting. I think we're, we're, we're getting to the fun part of this, though the part where me and you may end up uh, diverging more and coming down a little bit more on different sides. Um, you know, you, you referred a little bit before to us disagreeing on the, the, the numbers, uh, uh, the, the size of of the quote unquote white nationalist vote. Um, and actually, this isn't even where I was going when I started that sentence. But just while I'm there, I think part of our disagreement on numbers really comes down to semantics um, because it comes down to what is a white nationalist voter, you know, the way we're describing it. And. I could be wrong, but my understand my my feeling after you know reading some of the things that you posted and listening to you is that you classify the white nationalist voter as the neo Nazi. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. there might only be that many people in the neo Nazi party. When I was first mentioning that term, and and, and especially and I was kind of referencing, I think it was you know the the, the stats website five thirty eight, whatever they're called. Um, the way they were using it didn't necessarily refer to an actual neo-Nazi skinhead. They were using the people whose voting tendencies are affected enough by what may be prejudices, you know, be they racial or gender or whatever, that they can be a predictable voting block for a particular party. And so I think that's vastly different. I think a lot of the people that you were referencing earlier that are now on your feed, like, oh, no, we hate skinheads, too. I think a lot of them would have been included in that that white nationalist vote because, it, you know, they can have uh, uh, prejudices or discriminate, you know, discriminatory thoughts or, or things that affect how they, they see the world um, that on the scale might lean more towards, you know, racial discrimination without, you know, admitting to, you know, going all the way to the marching through the street yelling whatever the Nazi stuff is that people were yelling. So that, that's kind of one thing, and, and you may respond to that, but where I was going actually was your your kind of take that because the 
neo-Nazis are so hated and because Trump keeps leaving the door open to them, that therefore the mainstream media feels almost like they can say, I told you so. And that, that, you know, feels that they can say, well, Hillary would have been better. And that, you know, that excuses her for things that she may have done wrong or that she may have done wrong if she became the president. And that therefore that's kind of not the way to go. I kind of, I come at it from the exact opposite direction because I think that people that were not Trump supporters, but that felt that Hillary was so bad, they either shouldn't have to vote for her as the only alternative or were kind of lukewarm in in support of her because they're like, essentially, they're both pretty bad. I think that people like that are almost pot committed to Trump not being terrible. And because that's how they can justify to themselves that, well, it's okay that I I didn't vote for Hillary. Or if I did vote for Hillary, you know, I did it like people were pulling my teeth. And when I was talking to my friends, I talked down how how bad things were. Um, Or I wrote in Bernie Sanders or whatever. I think they could justify that as long as Trump isn't super terrible. As long as he's just a regularly bad president. It's like, well, Hillary would have been bad anyway. It's okay. But some people, and you know, this could end up being a bias of mine because I'm one of those people, saw Trump as so incredibly dangerous as a candidate. You know, and again, I'm speaking as a black man. So th- this racial thing this weekend that wasn't new. We, I saw, you know, what I'm saying, like he he cut his teeth on being the birther guy because you know he he knew that that if he emphasized that the first black president wasn't legitimate, there was a lot of people that would support him for that. And then, you know, then he went to the Mexican. I mean, I don't even have to go through the litany. He had a very, very, very racist friendly platform that wasn't all he had, you know, and not all of his supporters are, are racist. You know, you always have to say that because it's true. Not, and I won't even necessarily say the majority of them are, but he empowered that side to the point that was frightening as a black man and a black man with, with black kids, you know, just like the, the world that I could foresee under him as a president was so incredibly scary. And this is just on race. This is not even talking about him having this thing on the nuclear codes and all that stuff. It was so incredibly frightening that I almost don't care how bad Hillary was. Like there was, like she was so much better, in my opinion, at that time than the alternative that it was almost offensive to me for, for people that weren't Trump supporters to be like, ah, well, you know, they're both bad, you know? And one of my friends at work, one of my coworkers, like right after the election, like that had been our discussions up to the election or right after the election, I had to go outside because I was on the verge of tears. I was so upset that this man, Trump, is the president. He's terrible. Why can't people see it? And so now when fruit of what I was seeing is happening and I, I don't have to be like I told you so, because I literally wrote multiple articles predicting things like well, this happening. Well, let me you know. I feel like it. Okay, I'll I'll finish off. But I just feel like at this point, you know, it's not a case of, oh, well, you know, they're trying to justify Hillary or or making Hillary look better. It's no Trump was really that bad. And if you didn't recognize it then, it's that's kind of on you. So, no, see, I I would disagree that he's that bad compared to what we thought. I think I think like when he was got elected, people are calling him Hitler. Right. He's not Hitler. He can't even pass an immigration he can't even pass immigration ban. It keeps getting shut down by the courts. He can't even fill key cabinet positions. The Democrats are the ones that want him to push him to war with Russia. He was trying to be friends with Putin, and then they made that into a conspiracy, and he, polit- for domestic political reasons, he had to slap the sanctions on. He didn't want to slap the sanctions on, but they were alleging he was a Russian agent without evidence. Maybe the evidence will show up that he's a Russian agent. I was about to say, I don't know if you could say it's without evidence. Well, no, there's like, without evidence. The, evidence they, the intelligence agencies say they, they think that, but they haven't shown any evidence of it. And, and they're, yeah, and they're investi- that's why there's an investigation right, going on. Okay. And, and pending that, we'll, we'll see. You know, maybe something will come up. You know, so far, there hasn't been any hard evidence that Trump colluded with Putin. There has been none. He, his son had a meeting that apparently didn't go anywhere. And if it did go somewhere and they're lying, maybe there'll be evidence that they were lying. But th- again, we haven't seen any evidence, just allegations. And so, but either way, you know, it was like Russia, Russia, Russia. And actually, like, the danger was, is, is a showdown with Russia that's the other nuclear-armed power that could actually wipe us out. And he was trying to 
the one good thing he was trying to do was avoid that. And they were pushing him in the other direction, the Democrats, and alleging this conspiracy, which is the only justification they could have for uh, nominating such a horrible candidate who couldn't even beat a total charlatan. And she didn't. I mean, she was that bad. And, and I feel like Trump is not Hitler. Like, he's not. Like, they got that wrong, right? So he's, he's not the end of the world happened when Trump got elected. Now, this, a bunch of nut jobs within their rights, and I believe in First Amendment, can say horrible things in March. And what they should have been is jeered at, mocked, counter-protested, dismissed, certainly not given endless coverage by the mainstream media to sort of, you know, advertise their brand. And then while that was happening, two things happened. Some criminal terrorist ran people over the car, murdered them, and he should get the full treatment that we treat other terrorists of Islamic descent with, too. That's, that's terrorism for political purposes, what he did. And he needs to go to jail. The marching... You can march. I mean, that's just a right. You might be saying odious, horrible things that I strongly disagree with, but you can march. And then secondly, the president, after that, just made a word salad of empowerment of those people and total not, you know, the right thing to do, which is to condemn them. And, and, that's, and that's on him. And that should be, he should be, you know, strongly criticized and embarrassed by that. But, you know, this is not, we're not in a military dictatorship. We're not, it's not Hitler. It's not any of that stuff. I mean, if you look at race relations, yes, some of these people are empowered to walk around like idiots and do that thing, and that's unfortunate, and I think we should disabuse them that that's supported immediately, as those people did, and as, you know, most people that I see in the media, even Republicans who, were, if you look at their voting records, you would think they were pretty racist. You know, a lot of these senators, they're even disavowing it. Even they don't support it. That's, in my opinion, how small that movement is. You don't see Republican senators coming out for neo-Nazism. You know, everybody's kind of abandoning him over this. He's doing it, I think, because he so wants to be liked, and that's the one base that actually likes him, that he's trying to, like, keep them to like him. But it's dumb. It's really dumb, but he's doing it. And it's not for, you know, you shouldn't forgive him for it. It's pathetic, but he's doing it. But, I mean, the idea that, like, suddenly race relations are so much worse. I mean, you know, whose watch was it that all these horrible videos came out? It was Obama's watch. I mean, it's not Obama's fault that the police departments are, are often racist or have racists in them and do horrible criminal things that, for which they should have been prosecuted. But it's not like something radically changed since Trump was elected. A bunch of people maybe felt more empowered, but you're, there's not like, it's not worse in terms of like shootings or whatever. You have some incidents that are really bad. And again, this guy ran over, I think he ran over white and black people. He was just a, a sociopath, terrorist who needs to be obviously put in jail. But I don't, I don't really see that, that, you know, oh, I told you so, it would be this horrible. It's like, it's not good. You know, I didn't vote for Trump. I'm not defending Trump. But I, th I think to make it seem like the dire predictions that people were making when Trump got elected came true is just false, no matter how ineptly and immorally he handled that presser. I think, and again, you know, we, we established coming in, we won't necessarily agree. Right. But I think... It, it sounds to me like you're you're bending yourself into pretzels to, to to come to that stance. Like for when you started with the straw man, you know he doesn't have to be Hitler. No, but that wasn't a straw man, Dre. Right? That was mainstream hold on, media. Hold on, hold on. That wasn't hold on. a straw man. <laughs> okay, but now again, you say it was mainstream media. I think I did not hear very many people, you know, uh, say that 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 that, that uh, Trump was Hitler, but. Maybe that's wrong. Either way, even if they said it or they, they didn't, it's a straw man because Hitler is not the bar for dangerous. Hitler is the extreme for of dangerous. Course, of course, if he's as bad as Hitler, then yeah, this is you know. I'm just saying that's like, where they that was where they put the bar at first. I, I agree that that he could I mean, be far less saying, than Hitler and still be very dangerous. I can see that 100. percent Okay, and that's what, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm saying is like for that to be the starting point of this discussion, to me, I call it a straw man because it, it, okay. it puts the discussion in the incorrect light. I'm just, using the words that were, I'm just using the words that I heard before, but that's a fair point. He doesn't need okay. to be even halfway to that to be very dangerous to all people and black people especially. Right. So like that, that, that's one element. Like I feel like, you know, both both of us are very good at making arguments, you know. You were a lawyer, you know, like we, we're writers, we, we, we persuade. And, you know, when in persuading, multiple people can look at the same set of facts and edge the persuasiveness based on their, their feeling of, of, of what things are. And my opinion is that, you know, again, like, like starting with with 
Hitler as the straw man and they're working the, the, the way through to, well, you know, racist stuff was happening under Obama, too, as a justification. And they're working your way through to, well, you know, um, that one guy, it was one guy who, who, who you know, performed an al-Qaeda-like terrorist act. And he should be prosecuted and, 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 you know, to the fullest extent of the law. But, you know, it, just because he, he's not being, you know, it's not the worst thing ever. I feel like it's, it's kind of like a sequence of justification where from the other perspective, um, as I pointed out a few minutes ago, I think the, the, the stage for worst potential things is set and is partially set for that reason that, well, the worst hasn't happened yet. So it's, you know, it's still OK to, to, to really dog Hillary because, you know, Trump isn't as, you know, he isn't Hitler yet. Whereas in my opinion, in reality, what he's doing in normalizing um, that behavior. And yes, he's being, you know, shouted down by a lot of people on Twitter. I may say his name, though. There's a handful of Russia above of, of, of Republican politicians that have specifically said the president or specifically said, you know, uh, Trump. But both of them are saying, OK, well, we don't like skinheads. And it's very similar to a lot of the other previous kind of Trump fires in that we're not going to disavow him completely. We're just going to, you know, make a little bit of noise. And then as soon as this blows over, we can go right back to where we were. And because a lot of times I, when I'm driving here, I listen to AM, you know, radio and I'm in Michigan and there are, you know, there are a lot of, of more conservative leading radio stations and I listen to them and the things that I'll hear or think that are, 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 are facts or a certain way that most people are thinking is not at all the, what's conveyed on those stations. And those stations have millions of listeners. So when I'm driving home today and I'm listening to Sean Hannity and, and you know, whatever other Republican personality or conservative personality, I guarantee you they're not going to be on there condemning Trump. Instead, it's going to be more of, you know, some of the smaller things I've seen on Twitter is, is, is going to be like, oh, yeah, the liberal meltdown is crazy. Now they're 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 melting down over this whole race thing. And it's, it's nothing. It's more of the, the media slant on things. And, oh, ha, you know, uh, uh, Trump is, is, is going to bring us through and the economy's great. And, you know, like all the things right. that. But Dre, 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 point taken on Hitler not being a, a really good barometer. But I think Hannity is also like, you know, like the lowest common denominator, like in terms of like. He is. The difference is facts, uh, you know, being like open minded to actual facts. I do think the liberal media is having a meltdown over stuff. But right. I but the difference I between, wait, before you leave it, the difference between Hitler and Hannity is that Hannity's got 50 million people that are listening to him right now. Like, right. yeah, he's not the greatest right. uh, uh, supporter of, of facts or anything, right. but he has a congregation that's behind him. And, you know, whether you think that the number of, of true uh, white nationalists is 30,000 or 20 million depending on what the, the voting block. You can't argue that Hannity doesn't have tens of millions of followers. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we can't just put him into the, oh, well, you know, he's like Hitler. Guy. No, it's dangerous because he's not, because right. he has people following him. But even Hannity, as much of a sleazebag as he is, and he's like the lowest, I mean, he's the lowest of the low. And there's, it's not just him. There's, there's a bunch of merchants in that type of, uh, that type of talk that, that are smaller than him, but are still have big followings too, um, that overlap. But even he would not support neo-Nazis, right? Like even he, as bad as he is, as much as he capitalizes and cynically capitalizes on racial tension and resentment and, you know, obviously looking for a scapegoat when, you know, things aren't going well, um, even he is not, you know, openly advocating for neo-Nazism or that black people shouldn't be treated equally or it's more like pernicious sort of innuendo that emotionally strikes a chord with his listeners, correct? It's not even, it's not like explicit neo-Nazi stuff. And it was going on for a long time. But explicit, see, that's another place where we disagree. Right. Explicit, you know, neo-Nazi stuff, to me, that, that is the extreme. A lot of people believe it and don't say it. And so, you know, I'm on his Twitter feed right now. And, you know, so... Hey, Dre, 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 sorry, you're breaking up a little bit, but I also, I don't want to debate Hannity. I really, I feel like we're just, <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't care about him. Like, I feel like that's just such a, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, I could, I don't think that everyone that listens to him is a white supremacist, but I don't even care because, like, it's Hannity. Like, I don't, to me, like, it's a bad use of our time 
to talk about. Yeah, him. no, I, I I feel you on that. Uh-huh. The, the the where I'm going is not so much a debate on Hannity. It's why I'm scared and you're not. Is because I can't just say, well, I don't, you know, Hannity, I dismiss him and his followers. I don't think they're all neo Nazis. No, they're not. But it's tens of millions of of, of those followers that all at least to some extent, agree with his views. And if it's a continuum, I don't think the the, the lever for somebody that would do something tragic is neo-Nazi. You know what I'm saying? I think the police officer who listens to Hannity on the way home and then, you know, uh, is fearful for his life and, and kills a black kid, you know, like, it, it's hard to prove racism if somebody doesn't put the badge on. But not having the badge on is not the same as not being racist. And a lot of those people that before felt like they may have had to hide their feelings under the Trump administration doesn't have to. And that's scary. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think that there's very few people that want to be outed as that. And some of the guys that were in that march, these idiots, were like, oh, my God, I didn't think this would go so viral. I didn't want people to know. Like, it's still a very shameful thing. And rightly so in this society mm-hmm. to be a neo-Nazi or a, even a white nationalist is shameful. And I think most people feel that way, even though there may be some that, that do not. And, and we, we can, again, we can argue about the number. I do, I do agree that I'm talking about the real extremists who would do something crazy. Um, I don't think the people who actually would do it and are extreme, I think it's a tiny number, like the idiot who drove the car. But there's probably a lot of people, and it may be in the tens of millions, that you know have some racist views or have misplaced anger toward what's happened in society. And because of Hannity and because of, you know, some cultural influences, they are allowing themselves to pretend like the reason they have problems is because of immigrants or black people or Muslims or, or any of those things that obviously have nothing to do with it. But I would just take a step back and I would say, you know, Trump has been a bad president and he's an idiot and I'm not going to defend him. He's a buffoon. But I feel like the causes for all this stuff predate Trump by a lot. And, 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 and the major causes are the things like just the complete failure of our elites over the last 25, 40 years to really take care of the population. And once the New Deal kind of ended in the 70s and we started to pick that apart, you know, we have things like the meltdown of Wall Street. And, you know, actually a lot of, you know, a, a lot of poor people are much worse off since that. And a lot of those people are black. And, mm-hmm. a, lot, and there, a lot of them are white also. And there were wars that were of total choice that have cost us trillions of dollars and our healthcare system's a joke and it's incredibly expensive and people are justifiably pissed off and they've been let down by the government and by the man. And I feel like the question is, that's the cause of most problems, okay? It's not immigrants. Obviously, it's not Muslims or black people or any of that thing. They want to blame it on Russia. They want to blame it on Nazis. Nazis are a horrible thing, but it's not the cause of most people's problems. It's really a failure of the neoliberal policies of the last 40 years to take care of the country. And what you're going to have is you either have coming together and saying, look, we need to throw these bums out and fix healthcare and stop going to stupid ass wars to enrich weapons manufacturers and take care of our people. Or we can point fingers at each other and attack each other. And the elites love that. And that's why I'm saying the media and their conglomerates that own them and the elites that control those conglomerates love the neo-Nazis. They don't agree with what they stand for, but they love that people are talking about this rather than, hey, let's throw the bums out. Why are these people extracting billions of dollars and hundreds of millions on Wall Street from the system while providing nothing and everybody else is left to scrap it out? And, and, then, and then you have these professional potsters like Hannity come in and, and, and a lot of racist views that have been propagandized for many years and many opportunistic politicians over generations. And, and to me, that's the problem. So yes, obviously, that's what I was kind of saying. Like, you know, obviously we all hate neo-Nazis, white supremacists, anybody with a conscience who studied history just knows that's the dumbest, worst ideology. But th- to me, like the big problem is the problem that the media and the oligarchs who control it don't want you to look at. And that's why we get in these conversations of Hannity versus this versus that. And Trump is a symptom of the problem. He never should have been elected president, but it was only because we had a neoliberal who was the pretty much like the poster child of the last 40 years of failure running for the other side. And so to me, like you say, well, Trump hasn't done anything bad yet, or he's done bad, but he hasn't done the worst possible yet, but he might yet. And I agree, it could get worse. I'm not going to vouch for Trump, no way. But 
To me, if you're going to ascribe to him future causes, I ascribe to the fact that Trump is even there, Hillary Clinton. I, I ascribe to the neoliberals who put her, you know, the Wall Street enriching after a, a career in politics, grifting all that money out, and then running as somehow some sort of representative. Um, that's where the failure is, in my opinion. And, and Trump is just a, a symptom. He's just a tumor, but the cancer is, is spread much deeper. Okay, and, and you know, we won't go very much further with this, but where I would reply to you there is that I think you are putting more on your classification of Hillary Clinton than is warranted because, you know, like you, you say, like the last 40 years and uh, neoliberal, you use that word a few times, uh, the neoliberal policies of the last 40 years. The last 40 years in, in politics have not been liberal leaning. Like, neoliberal you know, is not liberal anymore. Neoliberal is pro-business, pro-war. You know, Bush was neoconservative, but the difference between neoconservative and neoliberal is a couple social issues like abortion and a couple of things. But it's pretty much the same foreign policy and the same Wall Street-friendly domestic policy. Okay, um, and I can tell you're very passionate about it because anytime I start, you jump sorry, in to come. I'm me sorry, off. I should let you talk. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jim. but um, you know, like. Okay, a couple of things. For one, as you kind of just stipulated, like, you know, like I remember in it was like the 80s um, during the Reagan era um, on Saturday Night Live, the, 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 the big uh, there was a big skit called The Liberal. And it was about how, oh, my gosh, you know, like there's one liberal it was like the fugitive movie you referenced earlier. There's one liberal left in the world and he's running away because it's almost like a, a, a black mark to be called a liberal because conservatism has essentially ruled the political landscape. Outside of, you know, Obama's goals, I guess, for the last eight years, for most of my life. Um, and tying that back to Trump in particular, um, or Trump versus Hillary in particular, is to me, it feels like the way that you argue it creates this false dichotomy. Like it's Trump's craziness, the, the worst things that could happen versus Hillary being, you know, more of, of what we've had for the last 40 years, where in reality, I would say that Trump has all of the negatives associated with what Hillary may have done as, as far as on, you know, the issues that you described. But he's even more conservative and more, he's not even a true conservative, but the policies that he will enact are more conservative. So if they're both, if they both have what you describe as this neoliberal uh, badness, and, and, and you have a, a chart, and they overlap in the Venn diagram with that about a badness. Well, Hillary also has some parts outside of that Venn diagram where she had the potential for positives, you know what I'm saying? Whereas Trump's part outside of that diagram is the potential for the, the worst thing ever. And I, so I, I, I disagree I with that, Dre. I, I disagree with that characterization because it's Hillary who wanted to invade Syria. Who chose to? Who pressured Obama to invade Libya? He still did it. Terrible, terrible decision. He said it was the worst regret of his pre presidency to back the Libyan, uh, you know, rebels. They backed these rebels in Syria, who were basically Al Qaeda, destroyed an entire country, and she wanted to invade. And she's the one who wanted to push Russia. So I think he was actually more non-interventionist, and she was more dangerous on foreign policy. Everyone thinks, oh, Trump, his demeanor, he's an idiot, he makes these tweets. Okay, all fair. But in terms of actual policy choices of making greater risk of world war. That was the neocon and neoliberal alliance. Trump is not in step with them on foreign policy. Yes, I agree with her way more on social issues. Horrible Supreme Court appointment. I'd rather Hillary be appointing them. So I didn't vote for Trump. But I'm saying, like, it's not all positive Hillary if she gets elected. And, no, I'm not saying it's all positive Hillary. But no, no, I can't agree with what you just Trump. said. Trump has already sent the biggest non-nuclear bomb ever in his first 100 days. Okay. I don't think, I think it's BS to say, well, Hillary would have been worse. Like, you know, I don't think, Trump gets a foreign policy plus over Hillary. At the very least, to me, they're both bad there. You know, that goes into that Venn diagram of where they're both bad. But the areas where they're not both bad, I don't see a single place where I can point to uh, where Trump is and feel like, oh, yeah, that this is a, a, a safer, you know, versus, you know, what might have been expected from Hillary. Yeah, it's hard to argue, like, you know, an unprovable thing, right? We don't know exactly what she would have done. Maybe she'd be far less hawkish than she had been as a secretary of state. Maybe she would be a different person. I doubt it, you know, but it's possible. But I'm just saying, like, 
to, to act like she might, you know, her policies were in, in much more in line with the consensus foreign policy, and which has been very aggressive in starting wars of choice and doing that. I just want to say one last thing, Dre, and I, is that, you know, it was the Russians that were the boogeyman, now it's the Nazis. Uh, in the 90s, when there was not, you know, when before the 9-11 and all of that, even before the, the USS Cole bombing or whatever it was, 1998, there was a different boogeyman. Um, and it was, you know, there were, there were the Crips and the Bloods, and there was uh, the Super Predators. And that was Hillary's term. And mm -hmm. that was really unfortunate because it put a lot of people in jail, mostly black, who were doing a lot of low-level drug offenses and not even sometimes, like just really small stuff that ruined a lot of lives. And I just feel like they're going to change who that is. Once the neo-Nazis go away, it'll be something else tomorrow. But the whole time, you know, those people were never the problem. Not really. Not really the cause of the misery in this country. And I feel like they're going to switch another boogeyman next. And, and, and historically, it's, it's always bad for the people. It always results in the crime bill being passed and then for-profit prisons, uh, you know, enriching their friends and, you know, barbarically springing up where people are profiting off of people being sentenced. And, you know, I, I just feel like, I don't know, I, I just think it's, it's a lack of perspective to, to see like Hillary versus Trump as like, oh, Hillary would have been fine. Like fine was not fine. And if she won in this election, the reaction would have probably been even stronger because things would have even gone further down the road than they had been in 2016. They would be just four years further down in terms of the neoliberal policies that got us where we were in 2016. So um, I guess we agree to disagree. I'll give you a last word if you want to throw in one. If you, yeah, I just have to respond because you're right about like, you know, Hillary and Bill and, and being in office with the super predators and, you know, she doesn't get a pass for that, especially from me. Um, you know, uh, check out Ava DuVernay has a documentary that really tracks race relations, um, especially when it comes to the the, the, the prison system and then stereotypes uh, since since Reconstruction. And she 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 points that out, and I, I, that that's very true. But also in the '90s, there was a thing called the Central Park Five, and and Donald Trump oh, was in, yeah. I mean, he, and, and so again, I I think there's a false dichotomy between saying Hillary is much better than Trump and saying Hillary is fine or perfect or any of that. You know, I've, I, I, I would never have, have, have had the passion for her as president as I've had for, for others. And, you know, maybe uh, had she been running against someone else, it wouldn't have been so important to me. But I think Trump has all of her negatives and then the potential for a lot more. And I think we've seen some of that play out. Yeah, and Central Park Five is horrible. They're basically innocent people accused of raping a woman and going to jail for a long time. Um, and Trump was one of them that really pushed for that. And that was horrible, uh, inexcusable. I mean, he should go to like almost jail for that. I mean, you know, he ruined people's lives. But the scale on which Hillary's been doing this for decades, five people, but, you know, 500,000, a million people. I mean, we're talking about major, major damage. And obviously, she's not the only one. It wasn't like she said that word and that snap the fingers, but it, it just a reminder, like the Crips and the Bloods, there were some bad dudes in the Crips and the Bloods. Like there were some dangerous dudes who should have been arrested, but they were a small minority of the people that got arrested, a tiny minority, and they weren't the problem in society. They were a problem, but again, it's just the type of thing that the media likes to focus on because it gets people very scared, and then we have this scapegoat, and then we get this crime bill, and I just feel like we're, we're, we're reliving the thing all over again. We're just doing it with a different group, Every year, every couple of years, you know, it's the Muslims. No, it's the, you know, yes, that doesn't mean there's not individuals among them that are really bad and dangerous and shouldn't be dealt with. It just means, come on, that's not the real problem. Okay. Um, you know, we can leave it there because I okay. think we could, we could okay. continue this We could probably go time. for two hours. All right. <laughs> now, spoiler alert, please stop listening. You probably already stopped listening long ago, but if you're still made it through here, a little Game of Thrones spoiler alert. Um, I, I really like your Game of Thrones recaps. I think like I've I've like caught some stuff I missed earlier. I just want to make one complaint about it, and a couple complaints. I want you to, I want to ask you if you think these are valid. Okay. okay. So I'm really kind of sick of Daenerys telling people to bend the knee. Right? I'm kind of like <laughs> fuck off. You know, like it's fine. You know, you may be more just than Cersei, and you may be you know whatever. Who knows? I don't know. You know, you might be fine. But first of all, why do you need to be queen so bad? I mean, who gives a fuck? I don't need an authority figure in my life. I don't need to right. bend the knee to somebody, you know? <laughs> if you want to be the boss and you're doing things justly, fine. I'll go about my life as long as you're not, like, you know, killing me off or attacking people that I care about or even just innocent people in general. Fine. 
you know? But like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to bend a knee. I don't give a fuck about you and your dumbass father and your dumbass heritage. <laughs> Who cares? Like, that shit is so tiresome. She's like, bend the knee or die. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, seriously. I mean, why, why is that? Like, she's just a, an idiot. I'm just like, you're an idiot. Like, just, I get that you have some private ambition to be this thing, but like, it doesn't, other people just don't care about that. Why should they care? What, what's your response to that, Trey? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you said, you know, you've been reading my articles. You know, I've been having fun with the whole bend the knee thing. I mean, there are so many memes about her, you know, because she even she always uses the same phrase. Like she never says, you know, I don't know, uh, be subordinate to me or, you know, right. anything. It's always been the knee. And so um, so I, I agree, especially on, on for it to be a line on a show. Um, I think they have to they have to be on purpose. They have to be purposefully. You know, I, I picture the writers of the show. Like, hey, hey, hey. Let's say bend the knee again. You know, like like just because it, it's been so overdone. Um, that said, like she is, she's essentially a conqueror. Like that, like she's trying to make the argument that she's a deserve to be conqueror. But the whole reason that her family were the kings was because a thousand years earlier, somebody else came over with three dragons and conquered. So if you're going to come in and, and say, well, you know, I'm conquering this area, you know, that that's what conquerors do. Say, you know, I'm, I'm in charge now. And the way that you will acknowledge that I'm in charge is by bending the knee. Um, so and see why, you know, she would would want that. Um, the the whole uh, her saying because really she said that the John Snow more than anybody, anybody else. Right. And so I kind of feel like the producers are, are having fun with that, with the thought that, OK, this guy really like. He actually now, based on the last show, he's the legitimate heir to the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not even a bastard. He's the son well, he's of a, the crown well, prince. He's ahead of her, right? In the, in the, because his, yeah. his, what, his father was the, was the older brother, right? Like, yeah. so he's actually more directly in the lineage. And because they were married, I read this thing, I want to cite, I don't know if you also said this, because they were actually married in a secret ceremony, which I think, um, what's his name? Tarly? starts to figure mm-hmm. out that means that actually he's not a bastard. And so he's legitimately yeah. the heir, right? Exactly. Exactly. He, he is the heir, just, he doesn't know it. And, you know, um, uh, what's the name? Gilly, Sam's girl, yeah. you know, trying to say that last, last episode, uh, that's what made that moment like an arg type moment was right. that she's reading the passage that legitimate, legitimate makes him and, and, and Sam ignored it. So, so yeah. Uh, if, if 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 this was a, a a regular hierarchy, you know, royal hierarchy, hierarchy, John is the rightful king, and so I think the producers are like, you know, let's have Danny say bend the knee again because the the, the viewers all know that he shouldn't be bending the knee. She should be bending the knee to him, if anything. And who knows? Um, we don't know where the show's going, but if they do ultimately have him come out on top, then maybe they figure it'll be more payoff after her being annoying with it. Right, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, she's not a villain, you know. She's not like a horrible person. She's done some murders, but who hasn't? Back in the day, mm-hmm. here and there, <laughs> you know, it's a little easier now to be, you know, not murdering people. Back then, you could, right. you could do it. I mean, John Snow's killed dozens of people at least. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just funny. It's like, yeah, once he's the king, it's like, well, all that bend the knee was just bullshit. Now, don't you see? Like you're, mm-hmm. you're wrong. Anyway, yeah. the one other complaint I have, and maybe you're more informed than me about this, is that, like, I don't like how these armies come out of nowhere. Like, okay, so Stannis' army gets defeated by Ramsay Snow, and then that powerful army is fighting Jon's army and is going to win, but out of nowhere, the Knights of the Vale, run by that freak kid who was breastfeeding when he was, like, 12, <laughs> comes in, you know, that and, and just tips the balance. Like, oh, who knew, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, you know... It looks like, you know, Cersei's totally outnumbered and they don't have anything. But then, oh, they just kill the Tyrells, get all the gold. Like, there's, there's too much stuff that I feel is like, ra- like, they could just tell me, oh, there's this other mercenary army owned by the Iron Bank who comes in and wipes out everybody. Like, we just mm-hmm. don't really, you know, it's like, oh, Euron all of a sudden shows up and they stole all the ships. But don't worry, in six months, they built an even bigger fleet. And then that's a big force to reckon with. Like, these forces to reckon with just seem to be conjured out of thin air. And they don't seem to be like a good... They haven't been like some of them are planted earlier in the story, but they seem a little bit just, oh, that's why you lost. Because, you know, Aaron Rodgers just suited up for the Giants. You didn't even know he was on the Giants. You know, it's a little bit, I, I'd like to know sort of the handicapping angle of it a little bit better. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that. And, and um, 
you know, the book readers, you know, I am a nerd. So I'll, I'll go to the, the George R. R. Martin uh, uh, message board and, and they, they have a board on there now for the show. And they're, they're on there just complaining left and right after most episodes. Like, oh, my gosh, since he ran out of material for Martin, you know, they, they've gone Hollywood. Um, and, and that's one of their big, big criticisms, because in the book, um, he's more specific. He's like, there's X amount of Tyrell forces. Right. Because after that episode, that's what one of the things people were saying. I was like, wait a minute. It's supposed to be 100,000 Tyrells because that's what it says in the book. They, they, they never say that on the show. So that, that you know, and, and there was only supposed to be a few uh, Lannisters left because they were getting wiped out in all these armies. But on the show, they were like, well, we need we need Cersei to be able to be a legitimate, credible threat. So let's just give her an army back. So I do agree with you on that. I would say that the the, the one last year where the, the, <laughs> the, the breastfeeding kids army showed up, that actually was supportable, you know, because that army had been held back. We knew they hadn't fought any of the wars because the mom was crazy. And when when Kat went to try to get her army, she said no. So we knew they had an army and we knew that that Littlefinger's been creepy on Sansa for a while. And we knew that Sansa was writing letters to Littlefinger before that. So I almost felt like they went the other way. It was too heavy handed. Like it was too obvious they were coming. You know, when by the time they actually came, it was like, yeah, it couldn't be any other way. But as far as like the the army's popping up out of nowhere, it has been more of a symptom this year. um, I, I, I can feel your point on that. Fair enough, Trey. You got any predictions? I mean, you, you don't have any uh, advanced knowledge, so you're not, you know, for the people who are up yeah. to date, you got any predictions of what's going to happen at the end of this season or, or by the end of the show? Yeah, so I, maybe I'll try for the end of this season. The end of the show, I'm not quite uh, uh, willing to do, but I do think, honestly, I thought it was a stupid idea to send these seven dudes north of the wall to get a White Walker. Like, I don't see how logically people would think that would end well, um, but I feel like they will have some level of success, you know, that, that they'll be able to. That for one, it'll make a next to last episode. It's ridiculous because that's what Game of Thrones does every season. Their next to last episode is going to be one to watch this week, whether it's a White Walker or not. I'm not sure. I think that it has to come out to me by the end of the year who John is, because now there's too many people to know in too many different places. You know what I'm saying? Bran knows and he's starting to be listened to. Um so I think, you know, maybe that's what happens in the finale is it's, it's acknowledged. I'm curious to see how this uh, Littlefinger versus Arya thing comes out. Like Littlefinger's always been like the biggest schemer in the show. And then Arya's had five years of assassin spy training. And so this last episode, Littlefinger's kind of been playing Arya, you know, trying to set her against Sansa. And it looks like that he's succeeding so far. And I think we might even see more of that apparent success this episode. But I think, you know, Arya does eventually get it or Bran looks at the future and tells. But I think, you know, Littlefinger catches a downfall with the Starks by the end of this season. And maybe he ends up going to, to work with Cersei or something for next season. Or do you think he gets killed by Arya at the end of the season? That's possible, too. He might actually get killed. It's like he's been such a strong, successful character for so long. I could see them saying, hey, we, you know, he'll be the last rat on the boat. Um, I saw somebody say. He'll be the one to broker a deal with the uh, the Night King, you know, because that's just who he's been so far. Right. He's so smooth, he can broker a deal with the Night King. Yeah, but I do think the Starks will be his downfall. And so I can see Arya killing him. I can see Bran outing him. You know, I can see Sansa figuring it out. You know what I'm saying? Like Sansa is his protege. Maybe she's the one. I think she's more likely to be the one to kill him whenever he dies than Arya is. Yeah. But, um, but I do think the Starks have been his obsession. They're going to be his downfall. Unfortunately, this is a spoiler, but we know we know he doesn't die because of the sequel, The Wire, he's Karketty, remember? So he's, <laughs> he's got to survive. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the next couple hundred years on a different world. Right, right. All right, Dre, I appreciate you coming on. It was a long one, but it was good. Good stuff. And uh, check out Dre's work, hoopslab.rotowire.com. Check out the site, rotowire.com, slash, say, Twitter, for a free 10-day trial. And I'll talk to you again soon. All right, looking forward to it. All right, take care, Jay.